coaching, rowing, and all things sports science. It's The Bro Show with Bill Tate and Rod Siegel. Well, good day, Rocket. How are we going? Very good. Thanks, BT. How are you going, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Good to be back uh, doing some podcasting again after a little bit of a breather from us. It's been a pretty busy time, hasn't it? It's been a long hiatus, but yeah, we're back. We are. We are. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about uh, power meters in rowing. So something that's a new sort of technology in one sense uh, in the sport of rowing. I've uh, been around in a lot of other sports for quite a while. So, um, and we're just mm. starting to get our hands a little bit dirty with it in the last few, uh, few months. Yeah, we are. So we're going to cover a little bit of stuff today. We're going to talk very briefly on you know, what power meters are in rowing and how that sort of works. We're going to talk about some of the different types. Uh, we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about the implications of the information that we get from power meters and maybe some practical thoughts uh, into the sport as well um, to finish off with. It won't be the longest podcast we've done, hopefully, this one, because there'll be some follow-up podcasts on power meters once we actually have a bit more data to present and talk about on the individual systems. And that's what we're going to cover today. Very good. Rightio, Rodney. So from a science point of view, let's talk about power itself. So what is power first and foremost, and, and how is it used in, in this sort of circumstance in sport? Well, I guess very simply, power is uh, the amount of work done over, over a given time frame. So I guess in rowing specifically, it'd be the amount of force a rower is producing um, over, the, over the stroke. Yeah, so it's sort of red. I guess most rowers would be familiar on the on the ergo. If you flick through the screens, you go from split, you turn into power, and it's it's measured in watts in terms of the unit, and it gives you a a readout per stroke, doesn't it, as to the amount of work done in that stroke. Yeah, exactly right. And so there's a couple of ways to to up the power number. One is to apply more force, and the other one is to do it more quickly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, in your training and a lot of roles will be familiar with early on in the season, there's a lot of lower rate stuff really working on that force application and then coming in towards the racing season, it might be upping the stroke rate to then be able to you know, work on the second half of that equation in terms of applying that force more quickly. That's right. And I think one of the things that power meters are, are often mistaken about when, when we're talking about in, in the rowing boat is that it's a measure of effort which it really isn't. It's, it's actually a, quite an individual uh, calibrated relative to your um, movement pattern, uh, not an overall measure of effort because there are some other inefficiencies in rowing that aren't measured by a power meter. For example, how easily and efficiently someone gets from the finish to the, to the catch where there is actually no force on, on a power meter, particularly if we're talking about a power meter that only measures in the direction of travel. Well, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, in a sense, it can be even used as an efficiency measurement, um, mm. you know, for that, that exact reason. Yeah, and we might talk a little bit about that um, as we push, push through. So I suppose there's, there's a whole lot of different stuff on the market. We're going to sort of focus at the moment on um, the, the two main types of power meters, and they are the ones that, that sit either on the oar or on the gate. Um, that measure the propulsive force of the boat. So we're, we're fundamentally talking about the power that's applied to the boat, boat in the direction of travel. Um, what, what that doesn't account for, say, in a sweep boat, is that there's an, there's an arc and um, there can be some internal power, some power going in the other direction that, that, that actually uh, moves into the boat. But the power meters we're talking about measure in the direction of travel and so there's a component 
of the force out at the catch, if the catch is taken at say 56, 57 degrees, there's a component of that force that is into the boat, um, perpendicular um, to the to the line of travel, and then there is the the force that is in in parallel with the with the, the travel direction. There are gates that measure two directions um, of force, and and the internal one can be a bit of a measure of some efficiency or, or potentially lack of efficiency. But we're we're talking about specifically the power number that's read in the direction of travel here. Yeah, and and you know again on top of that, there's obviously the um, you know the foot stretcher force. So that's mm. a whole other part of the yeah. equation. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's a good measure. It's certainly not a perfect measure, and you know something we can talk about a little bit later on um, in terms of how much it actually does correlate with boat speed. So we know from a bit of research and a bit of our own playing around, there is a pretty high correlation with boat speed, but it's certainly mm. not perfect. Yeah, that's right. So we we'll, we might walk through that at the end when we talk about some of our own reflections on on what we've been playing with. So let's get on with it. We're going to talk about two, two primary types. The, the first is, and we'll call this the NK style, the power meter style, which is like the power meter, or, or does a similar job to a power meter on a bike, where it's really just measuring the amount of force in the, in the, in the drive direction. And the second type is the more biomech system style one, which is like uh, systems like the Peach Innovations um, uh, system that many rowers, particularly in the UK, will be aware of, but I know a lot of national federations also use that one. But there are other systems coming online now about that. So the two different types. And we might start, first of all, with the pure sort of power meter style one, the, which was like the, the new NK M-Power gates that have, that have come on the market in the last six months. Yeah, well, I guess putting it simply, it's almost looking at one that measures, you know, as you said, you know, power primarily. So ones we're kind of using more as a physiological tool, uh, you know, with, that has some small biomechanical applications and the peak system being much more of a biomechanics type of tool. Yeah, so when, when we look at the, the NK one and, and another, there are a few others that, that are coming online. We actually are waiting to receive the wireless system from Weber that's uh, on its way. Now we've had a look at that previously, but it, it was it had a few little glitches and, and didn't work with the ISO app. So now I understand the, the new one's on the way, which is one that sits on the oar and measures the deflection of the oar, but, but reads the same thing essentially. It's the amount of amount of actual force through the stroke and doesn't tell a lot more than that. Yeah, well that one's, yeah, like you say, that one's uh, linked on the oar itself, whereas the other one is in the gate. Correct. So um, I suppose looking at the difference between the two systems, if we look at that first style, which is primarily the power meter style, what is the advantages of that system? Well, simply put, it's it's really quite immediate. So once that's linked up and set up properly, and it's actually really simple to install and calibrate, once that's on the boat, it, it links, you know, really quickly with the speed coaches that you know most rowers will be familiar with, um, and they can get instantaneous feedback for mm. the entire row. You could use it as sort of we have been doing for every single row that you do. So um, instant feedback and you know continuous monitoring. Yeah, and and that's really the big advantage. It's it's a simpler, more um, manageable um, kind of system. The the installation of these things is is always a, a little bit of a little bit of a fiddle. But say if we talk about the NK system primarily, um, it, it's it's very simply a, 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 a like a calibration plate that sits down on the, on the bottom of the pin, which has got a magnetic field, which I think is how it, it figures out where the angle is. 
and then the gate sits on top of it. It comes. It, it, it requires a AA battery, which lasts about two or three weeks, from what we can see, and it will measure, um, you know, the power pretty pretty consistently. The readout is pretty consistent uh, into the unit that they already use, into the speed coach to um, uh, GPS stroke coach. Um, and it can also be tailored to show a whole lot of different things in terms of uh, you can target a, a catch angle, you can target a finish angle, you can target an amount of slip so you can set a tolerance. So you can say, uh, just show me every stroke, how long it takes me to reach 10% of my total force or 30% of my total force or whatever it is you might set as your um, in inverted commas slip number. So there are some significant advantages to that. I suppose the other one that we've found is that particularly that system links pretty directly into some of the monitoring stuff that we, we use, like training peaks, for example. Yeah, it's quite simple to download at the end of a session, not as, um, you know, not as seamless as something like the new heart rate monitors that do them automatically at the moment. But mm. yeah, you, you download the data and you can upload it straight to training peaks and um, have a look at it and interrogate the data there pretty easily. Now, it's not that seamless. We've had, we certainly, in, in playing with these over the last sort of three months, um, we've certainly had glitches. We've had um, times where <clears throat> parts of sessions have been missed, particularly if the rowers don't start the timer on the system. So there's a few things that can be fixed and improved in that, in that system. Um, however, the, the feedback to the athletes has been quite simple, hasn't it? I mean, even early on, we had some pretty good feedback from some of our younger athletes using the system. Yeah, well, yeah, one of the first times we had a, a younger sort of men's pair using it and they were looking at the data, data as, as they were rowing and one thing I remember them saying was, you know, we, we worked a lot uh, on, you know, really getting the catch in and, and being really aggressive at the catch and they saw the, um, the power number go up but they didn't see the boat speed change. So yeah. what they kind of learnt from that is, all right, we're, we're working harder here, but we're not getting any return for boat speed. Yeah. So that's you know, a lesson learned pretty immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is pretty cool. That was really good. And that, that's exactly where, I think people can go astray. They can try and row to see the highest power number, but actually what we're looking at is the relationship between power and speed and how you can ha uh, gain speed for the least amount of further investment in one sense, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, and that's where that sort of efficiency thing comes in. It does, yeah, very much. Um, some of the other limitations of, the, of that system is, I, th I think, like with everything in um, in the first iteration, there there have been a few little uh, glitches with it, but by and large, it's worked it's worked reasonably seamlessly. We've had it now on a number of our senior athletes, um, you know, our Olympic level athletes for quite a while, and um, and we've been getting some pretty positive feedback from it. So, so that's a very simple version of the of the power meter system, isn't it? Mm, yeah. The, the probably the next sort of in, in our sense probably the next benchmark system would be, you know, the Peach Innovations um, Powerline system, Powerline based system, Powerline being the software that's used to analyze it. Now, this is a very sophisticated system. It's been around for a long time, and it's sort of there are a number of different type of and more boutique ones. This is probably the one that's most readily available that people will be most familiar with. Um, this system uses a, a, a same like like the NK a sensor on the gate that measures force in the direction of travel, but it, it calibrates itself using a little shim that fits around the pin, so it almost creates its own pin around the pin that exists and it's wired although we understand they're bringing in a wireless version at the moment but it's it's not wireless and it links into its own uh logger box or or head um unit that that is then downloaded subsequent to that mm. 
Yeah, well, um, it's the information you can get from the peak system is fantastic. There's probably a lot more in-depth stuff that you can get, but it's certainly a lot more cumbersome to set up and calibrate and, and so on. And it's heavier too. It's, it's yeah, quite heavy. Yeah, certainly. Um, but it is very accurate and it's been validated scientifically has, yeah. as well, which is, is also very, very important. And so f from a coaching point of view, um, that the peach system, the head unit will only give you essentially the average power of the crew per stroke, which is useful at times, but also can be a little bit misleading. So you don't get an individual readout one person at a time the way it exists. Um, you can also connect it to a whole lot of other sensors. There's a, it comes with a foot stretcher sensor system, which is really useful, which we've used, and I'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, and a seat position system as well. It also has a live relay that we'll send to a laptop and we've used that too. And on the live relay, you can get um, everything in real time. You can get force um, curves, you can get handle uh, velocity curves over angle. Uh, you can even collect information from the impeller. Um, I understand there is a GPS-based version of it as well, which will give you GPS speed, um, which can be useful. Uh, and it has an accelerometer in, in, the, in one of the units as well that will give you uh, the boat acceleration per stroke. So it's, it's very sophisticated. It seems to have a fairly high sample rate and, and collects a lot of information as it's going. Mm. Yeah, I guess one of the probably drawbacks of that system is its ability to be used day in, day out. Mm. Um, and sort of from a monitoring point of view, it, it's yeah. very manual, I guess. You, uh, you probably need to make up your own databases and so on and so forth to, to be able to keep track of all those things. It's quite manual. Yeah, it's exa exactly right. And um, I suppose um, now would probably be a good time to, to then talk a little bit about the experience of using the Peach system over years. So there are other systems like that. Weber had a system um, for a long time that, that we used in Australia, which, which did basically exactly the same thing. Um, as the peach system, but not as it wasn't as easy to operate. It was more um, a little bit more uh, clumsy, I suppose, but older technology. And of course, uh, Valery Kleshnev um, has run a system of his own as well that does a lot of the same stuff. And I think a lot of these systems are based off a lot of the stuff that Kleshnev did. Um, certainly, even when I was running in the late 90s, um, Valery had systems at the AIS that were that he built himself that did all of this stuff so this stuff's been around for a long time i think the um the germans even when there was east and west germany i think east germany had this sort of stuff like back in the early 80s and 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 maybe even 70s as well so it's it's not that sophisticated it's just been hard to get it into a boat into real time over the years so you you were rowing in the late 90s i thought it was much <laughs> earlier than that <laughs> thank you very much um so Probably, um, if I talk a little bit about the, the Peach system and how that can be used, I know, uh, you know, without saying too much about what's happened in the past, I know in the Olympic cycle leading into London, um, we used it with the girls' pair and Chris O'Brien used it with the men's four uh, as we were building those boats, particularly in 2011 and 12, but we'd used it for a few years in the lead-up. In 2012, we sort of got to the point with that system where we were we were essentially manually doing the training load as we were going. So I was I was um, you know we we raced with it at every regatta except for the Olympic Games, and I'm kicking myself we didn't use it at the Olympics because I would love to know what that data looked like through that regatta. And was that for weight purposes? That was for reasons? weight. That was for weight purposes because at, at this stage, FISA still doesn't allow us, as I understand it, to. 
um, reduce the weight of the boat to account for the weight of the system. And the weight of the system, if you're, if you're talking about a pair, is, is more than a kilogram, I think. So I, I still would say that information is more valuable than that weight. And there's a whole lot of other ways that you might try and save a bit of weight here or there over some of this sort of stuff. But, you know, our girls in that race only just got up for that silver medal and if it had cost them into fourth place we'd be probably kicking ourselves in that direction but it'd be fascinating to see how, mm. how that information went but the way we used it in that in that year was we would we would finish each training session we would collect all the data from that that row which was quite manual it would take about a good half an hour feed it into a spreadsheet and that would give us a bit of a training load and we were running for the girls percentages and the boys the percentages of their 2k race so we knew what what power they were able to achieve when they were selected and at world cups and internal racing and then we would do work based off that so one of the great advantages of power meters as i see it is you know our sport is so dramatically affected by weather that speed is very irrelevant a lot of the time if you've got stream but even wind and that sort of stuff it dramatically affects the speed so speed is very difficult to calibrate for in that year leading into the Olympics, I remember the girls in the pair paddling in Dorney down one side of the course, you know, just paddling along at rate 20 at 2.10 and then going the other side and paddling at two minute pace. And the difference was it was a direct crosswind. So that's the, that's the, so there was no um, head or tailwind advantage. That was just purely a crosswind. That's 10 seconds, 40 seconds over 2K. So it's very inaccurate to prescribe on speed. And what was the difference in power? The power was exactly the same. Right. So that shows that shows a really big, um, a clear example of how much impact weather can have. Heart rate is also unreliable on a very cold rowing morning. You know, often they'll struggle to get their heart rates up um, into a training zone. So, what power can also help do? It's not definitive, but it's probably I think the best way of actually understanding how much work an athlete's putting into a training session. And if you can get that information live you can start to do things like prescribing rather than, you know, four 10 minute pieces at threshold power, which might be say, um, you know, for a heavyweight girl, it might be uh, 270 watts or 260 watts. You could actually say, you go and do it on that power output. Mm. So you might not be saying, yeah, no, 150 pace, you might be saying 270 watt pace for that time. And it wouldn't matter then if they were picking up a bit of head breeze or tail breeze or even stream here or there. Mm. Um, all of that's pretty relative. Yeah, and I guess from the athlete's point of view, you can track progression quite nicely. You know, I'm just thinking back to you know the last couple of years with crews preparing here in Melbourne at Carrum, mm. in you know leading to going overseas. The water each week we go down there, we measure the water temperature. It's getting colder and colder and colder each week, and they're going about the same speed each week. And we're sort of thinking to ourselves, oh. Does that mean that they're improving yeah. or does that mean they're exactly the same, you know, far, similar speeds, you know, lower water temperature. But if you've got a power meter and you can see that power is increasing, even if speed is, is unchanged, you've, you've got a pretty good idea that, that you've got progression. Yeah. You know, I guess we touched on it before. It's not a perfect correlation with boat speed, but it is extremely high. Um, we know from the research you referenced earlier with the peach system, there's um, in sculling at least, there's about a... The correlation is, is 0.85, which essentially means that 
85% of the change in boat speed is um, predicted by the change in power. Yeah. So the other 15% of the change in boat speed is, is some other factors. That might be what you're doing in the recovery and whatnot. Yep. Um, but you know you can be quite confident, and we, we've seen similar numbers ourselves around about that 0.85, um, even in a sweet boat we saw that. So um, yeah, if you're improving your power week, week by week, even if speed might be doing different things because of the environment, you can be relatively confident that you, you are improving yeah, and I think that's pretty powerful given that in rowing, you know, only half of the rowing race is spent with the blades in the water. Half of the rowing race is spent with the blades out of the water on the recovery. To say that 85% of the um, speed uh, differentials or the speed improvements or the speed itself is actually described by the power that's that's been put down shows it's actually pretty good. It shows it's mm. a pretty good representation. Not perfect. Not but perfect, I, I yeah. think sometimes power does suffer from people who don't understand what it means very well and, and use it inappropriately and people are quite scared of it, but it actually is quite a good predictor. Mm. But I also say it's quite individual. So the way we used it was we measured it in racing in a particular boat with two athletes. Now, as long as those two athletes, are, their body weight stays the same and you're thinking they're probably rowing the boat fairly similar, um, you know, if they change dramatically the way they row the recovery, then that's probably going to change the power um, they're going to be required to get a certain boat speed. But what you can roughly say is if the weight of the weight of the rower stays the same, the boat stays the same, they don't change the type of hull they're using, then realistically, and, and their recovery, the way they move from finish to catch stays relatively similar, then the only thing the power is essentially going to describe how quickly mm. they're going to drive through the boat. Yeah, and especially with more experienced athletes. The more and yeah. more experienced they are, the, the less deviations we see in power per stroke and also across sessions. The flip side of that, of course, is if you, you want to actually try and make a change, if you identify that there's a change that needs to happen um, in efficiency, in recovery uh, efficiency, or to get the crew to row the drive more efficiently, you can also use um, power to help assess that as well. So you could go and do a piece and ask them to do something a certain way uh, differently. You could say, right, I want you to actually free the hands quite a lot more around the back turn or something like that. Um, if you just measured raw speed, you'd kind of have no idea as to whether they went faster in that piece just simply because they tried harder, mm. or they were able to dig in more, which might also tell you something, but um, not necessarily what you thought it was going to tell you, whereas this can actually tell you, okay, it was faster for the same amount of power, therefore it's efficiently faster. Mm. Yeah, or, or potentially it was faster for more power, but at a lower cost, yeah. potentially, you know, if you might have heart rate or blood lactate or... Yeah, so on and absolutely. so forth. So, and a good example of that is that you know that I can talk about is again in 2012, within that pair um, with Kate Hornsey and Sarah Tate. You know, we were trying to figure out whether it was going to be better seated um, with Sarah stroking or Kate stroking. Sarah had a pretty significant wrist injury at the time, so we couldn't do a lot of maximal work, but we did a lot of submax work. And I remember the way. I remember really clearly we decided on the seating with Sarah in stroke seat by doing 2K pieces and the speed was exactly the same. They were very familiar with sitting on a certain boat speed at rate 20 and the speed was exactly the same, but with Sarah stroking, it was six watts less power required to do that. So between the three of us, that was our decision made. We were, we were quite happy to go with that. Same speed, less cost. Exactly. So, so that's a little bit of the rowing context. Let's talk about what you know, what we can learn from some other sports that have used power. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, the, the obvious one is cycling. So, 
um, you know, an elite, even to this uh, this day and age, you know, sub elite or your battlers on the weekend like myself. Yeah, you've got one. Have a power meter. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, I love numbers, so I couldn't I couldn't cope without one now. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it it it's, it really tells the story of what you're doing in training yeah. better than pretty much anything. Um, you know, certainly heart rate is really, really good. Um, but as you said before, there's a lot of things that can, that can, you know, affect heart rate. If it's really cold, if it's really hot, if you're really, really tired. Yeah. Um, and cycling just like rowing, you know, the, there's road surface differences, there's head breezes, there's packs. There's hills, there's, yeah, yeah. everything. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, that can be a bit of a downfall of that. Um, speed obviously changes dramatically when, when you're riding a bike. But power really sort of tells you what the the, tr- the stimulus is. Um, you know, how hard are you working relative to, you know, maybe your aerobic threshold or your anaerobic threshold or your maximal aerobic power, whatever it might be, or your anaerobic capacity. Mm. Um, it really tells the picture. And, uh, you know, as an example, if you're coming into racing and you're doing a lot of, you know, high-powered but shorter-duration efforts, um, often the, um, you know, your heart rate doesn't really climb that much in a short amount of time. So... If you're looking at a training load, it's going to be underestimated. But yep. even if you're looking at training stimulus, not necessarily load per se, but just you know what have I done in training? Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of it tells you a different story. Um, you know, just an example that the session I did just now before coming in here was 10 30 second sprints with four and a half minutes break in between, and my heart rate only got to about a, in the sort of low 170s, and my max heart rate's about 185. So yeah. um, really, most of the time was in sort of that T3, T4, but you know, it was far, it was really more like T6, T7 in terms of your, your power and effort. So mm. um, you know, if you're just looking at one thing, it's, you're getting the completely wrong idea of what you've actually done. Yeah, and I guess in cycling, you know, the, there were, again, like Rowan, there's been <clears throat> unsophisticated power meters available for a long time but then the SRM sort of came in what I don't know 15 20 years ago mm. and certainly 15 years ago everyone who was serious was starting to use it but it, you know if you talk to you know cycling coaches that were involved at that time I know there was a lot of sort of fear around what the information meant and how it would be used back then um, there was a lot of mistaking you know that power just equaled speed versus understanding it was a measure of the amount of um, force that was being imparted, if, you know, into the drive of the of the bike, and clearly, you know, there's a lot of other things, that, including aerodynamics, that are a big mm. factor for them. Um, but it, it has really changed the way they uh, program and monitor training uh, for cyclists, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, to the point where a lot of the training prescription is based around power. Um, mm. You know, maybe not some of the longer rides. If you know they're out doing a five-hour ride, they might just say, you know, kind of get that done. Um, but certainly for the work type of pieces that they do, it's almost exclusively um, prescribed on power. So they might be saying, you know, you're doing four 10-minute efforts at this cadence and this is the sort of power that, that we expect you to hold, um, you know, given what the, the desired stimulus for that, that mm. session is. And I guess from a, from a rowing point of view, sort of my advantage coming from other sports into working in rowing was looking at what is done on a day-to-day basis um, in terms of these are the boat speeds we're trying to hit, um, you know, this is the stroke rates that we're doing certain things at. And I was took me a while to get my head around what is the exact training stimulus that they're getting from this session versus this session mm. versus this session. And after we started monitoring certain things, you know, initially just with heart rate or power, we uh, sorry, or, or lactate, we started to realize that actually what we think we're doing here may not be exactly what we are doing. 
But now with the ability to look at power and once you know what those different power zones are for a given athlete, you can quite nicely say, all right, this is what they did. And okay, yeah. yep, that, that was exactly what we you know, hope that they'd be doing in terms of the training zone they're in and, and eventual stimulus we're trying to get out of that exact workout. Or you know, maybe it wasn't, we need to tweak it or you know, they need to go about it a slightly different way. Yeah, and I, I can tell you from our perspective, trying to, to work training programs a little bit more around that, part of what, what it's really taught us is the need for us to, um, and it's funny how it sort of leads to this, what we've realised, the way that we traditionally run a rowing session with workload involved in it, has involved too much rest and has meant that people have sort of slipped out of the training zone um, that we're trying to trying to actually train and part of understanding that has been watching them hitting us the correct power but not actually carrying enough fatigue into doing it so from a cardiovascular system point of view the whole system isn't actually in you know in inverted commas threshold so it has actually had some pretty practical implications mm. I think on the way we manage our training these days yeah and I, I mean a, a really good one is you know often we do you know, 2K repeats at varying stroke rates might start mm. at rate 20 and end at, you know, rate 28. Um, and, you know, having a look at things like heart rate and lactate, we could say, oh, you know, are we really in threshold when we're at rate 20? And then you might add power to the equation. You might say, yeah, well, the power is also quite a bit off mm. that threshold zone. And so not to say that session is not a good session. It's just, it's not what we initially thought it was. So yeah. where that fits into the training program, I mean, certainly it's still a really valuable session, but we might need a rearrange what we do given that it's we're not getting the physical stimulus out of it that we thought we were maybe yeah and i think that's been really really fascinating and there's a lot of opportunity for for rowing to to continue to learn from that i think um and and some of it's going to be as these systems like training peaks and those sort of things become more and more user friendly to rowing as well to, to bringing the rowing information in now that that sort of power information is available because now we can get it on the water we also know we can get it off the ergo Automatically, if you've got the PM5 and a few of those various apps that Garmin offer, and also um, there's one I think on ISO as well, um, an Apple-based. Uh, yep, the Pain Sled. There you go. Good name. Aptly named Pain Sled. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very appropriately named. So probably, you know, the only other thing I was going to mention in terms of the practicalities of the uh, power stuff was. And I was talking with David Yates a few weeks ago, who's, who was a national selector in Australia for about 20 years, and watched himself a lot of the power numbers that were being measured through selection, leading into certainly into uh, London and also a little bit leading into Rio. There was quite a bit more use of the power meter in Australian selection in terms of trying to understand um, a bit more context around what a <clears throat> excuse me, particular trial might have meant. And he, he, he's, so he's had a lot of time watching that and I've watched a lot of information on the Peach system obviously since we got it we, we used it almost daily for five or six years there um, and we, we both sort of came up we, uh, I sort of said to him well I think it's this I think that the rowing machine um, power is about 15% more than what they'll get in a sweet boat and, and maybe it's a little bit different in the sculling boat but but I reckon it's about 15%, but 
the best rowers are about 13%. The best rowers who are the most efficient on the water, their power will be closer to 13%. So certainly that's what Drew was like, for example, and a few of our other really good ones, they were much closer to 13%. So why do you think that is? Well, I think that's efficiency. Like I think that that's a real measure of their ability um, to transfer their you know, their raw movement capacity, which is measured on the ergo. Like if you say the ergo is a rough simile for their capacity to move um, in that rowing movement to actually translate that onto an unstable platform, which is, you know, not symmetrical in terms of the movement. Um, that's a measure of their ability to actually to be a lot more efficient at, at that sort of, um, in, that, in that space, in that unstable asymmetrical um, sort of space. And I reckon it's a really good measure potentially to Absolutely. That's to something adopt. I'm really looking to compare as we, um, you know, we've got a PhD student starting in next sort of couple of months. Mm. And, you know, that's something I'm really keen to look at. Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time. We've got erg monsters who, you know, blow, blow your mind with the things they can do on the erg. And then on the water, they, you know, they just don't move the boat. Yeah. And, you know, you know, interestingly, you know, I'll ne never forget, you know, an athlete who on the ergo was, you know, for lack of a better term, unimpressive, but then some of their power numbers on the water were similar to some of our most, you know, physically, you know, you know, a really good physically yeah. gifted athletes. And you know, why is that? They're they're obviously just technically able to apply the power really, really well. So you yeah. know, it's not about chasing numbers on the water and trying to get big numbers. But if you row the boat well, the numbers sort of come. And I always come back to saying like the, the, the power meters we're talking about only measure the force in the direction of travel. So it's only the force that's actually propelling the boat. If you had a power meter that was just on the foot stretcher, for example, you could certainly apply force into the foot stretcher, which wasn't moving the boat. Mm. You know, this is the power that you lever through your fingers off the blade onto where it connects to the boat, which is the, um, which is the gate. It's a pretty good measure, certainly not perfect, but it's a pretty good measure of how, how much um, power you're imparting onto the system to move in the direction you want it to move. Um, and it, you know, it's very interesting. I said 15 and 13, and he said, oh, from what I've seen, it's exactly that. So there is something in that, I think, and, and that, that's certainly something when we get our PhD student up in a way that we'll be hoping to glean as part mm. of that project. And I think, look, I mean, the cool thing from a, the sports science point of view is once you've once you're able to quantify something, you can then quite nicely target how you're going to change it. So, yeah. you know, it's all well and good to say, okay, well, we've measured it. What does it mean? It's like, all right, well, if we know that you're 16%, got a 16% drop off from erg to water, um, you know, that's mm. quantified now. And what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you can look really in depth and looking at, a, you know, the force profile per stroke and, and various different things, you can really narrow down on where you're going to make those improvements. Yeah, and I reckon that's a big one for rowers because it's a, it's easy to say you need to improve your ergo by six seconds or, um, you know, you need to improve your threshold power by seven watts or something like that. It's it's a lot harder to give them a loose, you need to row better. But if you can say you're actually at 16% and you need to get down to 14, there's at least a measure mark. You know, if you can measure it, you can manage it, that old sort exactly, of saying. Yeah. I, think, I think there's something there, which is something that's really exciting, I reckon. So anything else from a science point of view? Oh, what else have we got? Yeah, I mean, I guess probably the, the last couple of little things would be, you know, we've spoken about the training stimulus and how, you know, load is sort of one thing and the training stimulus is something quite different. Um, but I guess just to sort of wrap that up a little bit, it's, 
at the end of the season, and I guess a lot of coaches and physiologists and whatnot have an idea in their mind of how much training do we want for various different stimuli across the season? How much is it going to be volume-based? How much is it going to be threshold-based? How much is it going to be you know, targeting our VO2 max and so on and so forth? Um, you know, if at the end of the season or you know, at the end of a training block, you can actually look at that if you've got the, the gates on every single day. Mm. You can say, all right, you know, we, we targeted this amount of time, either in raw minutes or hours or, or a percentage of our training time, and you can see, did you actually achieve that? Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you did, you know, what was the outcome? You know, did we improve that ability that we were trying to improve? Did our race you know, mm. you know, performance improve by what we were trying to target? And you, know, you can then reflect on that and say, oh, you know, maybe we didn't do enough of this or we did too much of that. Or Yeah, and there's a lot of gut feel in, in what happens at the moment and not, yeah. probably not enough measurement because it's been harder to measure. Absolutely. But it's actually, I think rowing is the opportunity as a sport now um, to shift away from being... Um, just thinking about the art side of it and actually really embrace science because there are more and more accurate, more predictable means of, of measuring some of the stuff that we intrinsically sort of know, which is going to make it more um, predictable and certainly simpler for us to continue to have you know success going forward rather than just relying on this little core group of people understanding something. Mm. You know, There's more numbers, there's more ability to put benchmarks and targets around things for people. Absolutely. And look, I'll be the first to say often science is actually following practice rather than the other way around. So, yeah. you know, you might have some success with a crew and you look back at it and go, well, why did it work? Yeah, and what yeah. did we actually do? And yep. like you say, sometimes there's a lot of, oh, you know, we did this, I think we did that. You know, we, that's what it said on the training program. Mm -hmm. But what did we actually do? What was the outcomes? And you can look back and go, well, you know, this, you know, we kind of think that these are the parts that were quite successful to that. So, Yep. Rather than necessarily saying, oh, we need to do more than this, more of this and less than that, you can use it in the other the way other around. Way. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess sort of the last thing I might speak on, and this is you know, something we've spoken a little bit about with some of our some more elite rowers at the moment, is how can we use the numbers to then target our, our racing um, yep. and maybe devising a race plan um, and you know, doing training at certain power outputs because we know that they're the power outputs that we're going to have to achieve in a race or... Um, you know, I guess again, sort of as you said before, if you if you measure it and you know what you're after, you know what you're chasing. So yeah. you might decide. Uh, you know, this is an old one. A lot of in cycling, a lot of track cycling, they'll sort of say, well, we ne we we're going to estimate that you know in four years' time to win the men's team pursuit, we're going to have to do this time. Yeah. In order to do this time, you can quite nicely calculate the power of each rider mm -hmm. and what they're going to need to be. And so quite similarly, you could say, well, you know, we think that we need to be able to do this time to win a gold medal in Tokyo. Which I think and, we, we sort of know. Like we, we can have a pretty good guess at that. And exactly, do. yeah. And, and look, and a, a couple of seconds here or there is probably not going to change the power requir requirements too, too much. Um, but yeah, if you know what that is, you can then, after a little bit of, you know, research into it, you can figure out, all right, what do we think that that power will need to be for this specific crew in order to get that time? And, yeah. and then you can target it very specifically every day in training, every time you do a race, um, you know, you can get a really good gauge of where you're up to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's quite exciting. That's almost the, the final next step to the whole thing, isn't mm. it? Yeah. yeah. And I guess probably the, the very last thing I'm sort of just thinking of now, something we've spoken about with um, Johnny Tasconi, our, our strength and conditioning coach here is how does this stuff then tie into the gym? Mm, so yeah. if we've got the ability to measure how much force is being applied per stroke um, versus you know, how strong is an athlete in the gym, um, you know, how much force are they able to apply in the gym and which 
measures in the boat correlate with the measures in the gym, you can kind of say, well, you know, this athlete really, they have to get stronger because they just can't apply enough force. Yep. Or, well, actually, this, this athlete can clearly apply enough force, but they can't hold that force for a long enough amount of time. So, um, you know, getting measurements, and you might say, for argument's sake, um, you know, the deadlift correlates best mm. with on-water power production. So, you know, in the gym, if you know that they've hit a certain benchmark, you can be quite happy that their strength is where it needs to be, or maybe it isn't where it needs to be. Um, so, I mean, it's endless. We could go yeah, on for days yeah. about all this. And stuff. I do know that John Tascone is excited about the the possibility to both um, quantify and validate the the improvements that are made in the gym which is often very difficult to apply into the boat i think mm. yeah i mean that's the tough thing it's, it's sort of always for the snc guys you know what are, you know what are the improvements they're seeing in mm. the gym and how are they translating to actual performance um you know where, when is strong enough you know yeah. good enough or when do you actually you know still need to get stronger yeah absolutely and there's no issues with convincing the heavyweight blokes they need to get stronger and sometimes it's the opposite with the heavyweight ladies yeah. so well yeah well like we were saying the other day i don't think anyone said oh i think i was too strong <laughs> <laughs> no definitely not very good okay well that's i reckon today that's covered um you know, a pretty good intro into into the power meters. We're going to talk just quickly about one of the misconceptions around power meters in a, in a moment, just quickly to to wrap up with. But we will come back uh, with a bit more specific details around what what the power numbers mean, what percentages mean what, and what we're seeing in some of the investigations that we're doing. I know a lot of people around the world are doing a lot of it, so there's probably you know going to be a whole lot of people that will know. Um, a whole lot of this stuff already, but I, I nonetheless think it's pretty interesting. But we're going to talk very quickly in a, uh, now about power strokes. So Rodney, power strokes in the boat, something that a lot of rowers do uh, as training sessions that can be done with, um, you know, nothing, no resistance on the boat, just rowing really hard, as hard as you can at a low, low stroke rate. It can be done towing a tube. It can be done with something wrapped around the boat to slow it down. Uh, and it can also be done with very long oars as well. Mm. Um, so the, the, the term power strokes is a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit of an inappropriate label, isn't it? Yeah, this is one of my irks. I guess as a scientist, I like things to be precise. So mm. calling them power strokes is actually a sort of, you know, the incorrect term because ultimately the power often might even be lower. So yeah. certainly the strokes themselves when that sort of session is being done is not really what I would consider powerful. Um, they're probably more maybe forceful. Yeah. Um, or force strokes might, yeah. might be a better term yeah. or, or really one thing that we've sort of, you know, jokingly call them is time under tension strokes. Yep. So really what I guess you're doing is you're lengthening the amount of time that the stroke takes and therefore the amount of time under tension um, on the system. Yeah, and because what what we see when, when you have a power meter on measuring the actual power of the power strokes, you can see that they can work very hard for almost no improvement in the power than what they would do if they were paddling at that same stroke rate. And that, the reason for that, is, as Rod said, I think, is that, yes, the force goes up, but the time for which it's um, being applied goes up. So the overall equation um, sort of evens itself out a little mm. bit. But it's still, this is not to say that power strokes are not a very important part of, this, part of the um, training prescription because time under tension is one of the key things that separates rowing from almost every other endurance sport mm. like... Um, 
certainly running, running and cycling. cycling, where the time under tension is what? What is it in your in a 800, 1500 meter runner? Oh, I don't know. It might be 800 milliseconds or something. It'd be, it'd yeah. be, or sorry, 80 milliseconds. 80 it'd be, milliseconds, yeah, it'd be yeah. really low. It's very low. So, so that that's the per stride amount of time when the muscles are under tension and in cycling. It's probably yeah, not too dissimilar yeah. depending on the duration of the race. But yeah, and it, and in rowing, it's it's 0.8. So mm. it's 0.8, or you know, if you're in a, in a men's eight, maybe 0.7 low of a second. So it's, it's incredibly It's about um, 10 times the amount. Yeah. yeah. And that, as we've sort of discussed once before, that makes the, the whole thing a little bit more aerobic in nature, doesn't it? It makes it a bit more um, sort of type one fiber yeah. reliant. Yeah, that's um, the theory, yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you then add a resistance, which means you have to lever against that system for a little bit longer again, um, it's, it's obviously any, any kind of different stimulus is going to provide you with an improvement. The variability of training is a pretty fundamental thing to you know, cheap diminished returns, but it's also going to improve the facilitation of type 1 muscle fibres, presumably. Is that correct? Yeah, that's one of the theories, and, and there's certainly... There's been a lot of work done in sports like cycling. They call it strength endurance training, where you might be yep. climbing, climbing up a hill at you know 60 RPM or something like that. And they're not even 100% sure why it works, but it seems to work. It seems, it to, seems work. to enhance performance. So I'm certainly a believer in that type of training. I just think we need to find a better name for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, we've done stuff. I know in that pair in 2012, and certainly um, Josh Booth and Josh Dunkley Smith at the moment, we row with. You know, really long oars for blocks of time. So 381, 382 length oars when they might race at 378 sort of thing um, to, to uh, encourage the same stimulus. So, you know, time under tension strokes doesn't really work. Doesn't quite have the Some same People call it water weights, which is, you know, no, we've got to come up with something, but mm. power strokes will be misleading as people start to use more and more power stuff. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, in cycling, they've settled on, you know, strength endurance or, you know, mm. efforts or, that's something not, like that. It's, that's, that doesn't have it's enough. Probably pop. needs yeah. a bit more bam. We're going to come mm, up with something. Bam. Right. So we'll <laughs> maybe there you go. We'll work on that. But uh, that's probably it for today, Rodney. Um, so we covered off uh, the you know sort of intro to, to uh, power meters, the biomex systems, and a little bit of the application. And as I said, we'll start to come back with a bit more uh, stuff as we get through the research. Yeah, exciting times. Yeah, very good. Thanks, mate. We'll Cheers. Speak to you soon. Yep. Thank you.